Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. Very glad to see you all here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. In the spirit of that heritage, let us greet the divine in our midst this morning by turning to the people to our right and left and welcoming them here. Will you say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is by Adrian Rich. My heart is moved by all that I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who, age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. For seven years, we've said this mission together on Sunday mornings. In November, you all had conversations and the board listened, and they have done a lot of work together, creating uh, refreshed goals of the church. And as a result of the refreshed goals, we may be refreshing the mission. It's in draft form right now, so we're not completely sure. But I'm looking forward to your hearing the new goals and if we have a new mission, the new mission, which we will then say together every Sunday. There have been some big decisions made guided by this mission. Let us say it together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation reading is by Eric Walker Wickstrom. It's an excerpt from his sermon on the Sunday after September 11th, 2001. Even if we are specific in our demonization, targeting only the particular people who are in fact responsible, we are still, I believe, making a mistake. For if they are evil and we are not, if that's how we see things, then we are committing the same kind of error which led to this tragedy. That's the problem of evil. Not so much that it exists and that it's really just a fact of life or a force of nature. The problem of evil as I see it is that we are so readily tempted to imagine that it's out there, separated from us over here, that it belongs to them and not us. And that, I believe, is ultimately the root and the design of evil, to make us categorize the world into us and them rather than recognizing our common kinship. At this time in the service, we enter into silence together in an attitude of prayer and meditation. We 
speak or listen to God as we understand God, or we listen to our inner wisdom, or we just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. In any of these ways, we find the still point inside where we can strengthen our spirit and get clarity about what's important. Look at suffering with compassion. Let us now enter into the wise silence together, understanding that in this congregation, tiny noises from children and the sounds of life count as part of the silence. This whole world is filled with sorrow. Things happen. All you have to do is stack up a few years on this planet and things will have happened to you. Your body suffers pain and limitation. Your children are in danger of addiction and accident. Jobs are terrible or they're lost. War sweeps through and people lose their lives or homes or they lose their humanity. Arms dealers stir up unrest so they'll have a ready market for their weapons. Dictators strip their nations of treasure and dignity, pitting pitting people against one another, with truth and fairness being the first casualties. I was down at St. David's in the trauma ICU yesterday. One of our members was in a car wreck. The car rolled. Um, so when I came into the room, she looked at me out of two black eyes. She said, Why do bad things happen? And she smiled. She knew I was talking about it today. I was like, you're in pain and you're on drugs and you're still a smart aleck. That's my girl. She did nothing to deserve that. We always want to know, well, exactly what happened And in that way, we can make resolutions not to have it happen to us. But sometimes it's nothing you did. Sometimes it's something someone else did. Sometimes it's weather. Sometimes it's machinery. The why do bad things happen is a question people have been struggling with for 20,000 years. How do we know this? Because in archaeological digs in the Indus Valley, we found ancient, ancient Hindu manuscripts that deal with this question. In Hinduism, from the little I know about it, Shiva is both the creator and destroyer. Shiva dances the dance of creation and destruction. Kalima, she creates by destroying So there are 
demons, but they hurt or devour at the instruction of the gods. A lot of times destruction is part of creation. I mean, any gardener knows that. You have to take out the old and put in the new. So um, I think about Hinduism when I'm considering what I want to believe. And I think when I read people on Facebook going, I just can't help but believe in God when I saw the beautiful dolphins at sunset. I think, yeah, but if God is in nature, if God is in everything, then God is in the cancer cell and the plague virus. It's hard to go there. Buddhism grew out of Hinduism, and so um, they have the same concept of karma that Hindus have the, you know, you are suffering in this life because you're paying for something you did in the last life, or good things are happening to you in this life because of things you did that were good in the last life. And, of course, there are an infinite number of beliefs within each religion, so I'm painting with a very broad brush. But Buddhism says um, there is karma, there is suffering mostly because you have a craving or a desire. And so if you're craving bodily health, if you're craving the health of your children, if you're craving a long life or enough money, if you're craving not to be hungry, then it's that craving that you need to work on rather than satisfying all your desires. And you're suffering because you're craving. And if you can not crave, you could let go of health or wealth with peace in your heart. Um, and the other thing that Buddhism teaches and is that um, this is all an illusion. But I, I can't stand in somebody's hospital room and say, you know, this is an illusion. That does not work. The oldest book in the Hebrew scriptures is the book of Job, which is dealing with this exact problem. And so uh, God and Satan at the beginning of the book are uh, looking down on this man, Job, and his family. And God says, look at my servant Job. He loves me. He praises me. And Satan, I'm making a long story short, says, yeah, just because he's doing well. If he were hurting, he wouldn't be praising you. And God said, oh yeah? Let's try it. And so Satan attacks Job. All his children die, his crops die, his animals die, his body gets sick. And he's sitting just on top of a trash heap. And he's shaking his fist at God. And he's saying, God, I did not deserve this. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I need to talk to you about why this is happening to me. And his friends gather around, and his friends say everything that you could hear at almost any church in the country. His friends say, oh, Job, don't be questioning God now. That's not a good idea. God's going to get even madder at you. Um, don't question. And Job says, I have a right to question. I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. I want an answer from God. And then they go, I think your children probably were sinful. Your children were doing sinful things. And 
they remove the hedge of protection around your family. And so these bad things are happening. And Job's like, no, they were fine. They were fine. I need to talk to God. And they say all the other things. They don't say, I want you to consider why you attracted this suffering into your life. They didn't think of that mean thing to say. They kind of said, well, Job, it's just God's will. Everything happens for a reason, which is also kind of a mean thing to say. Although it comforts some people. And finally, God does come down. And God says to the friends, y'all are wrong and ridiculous and you should scurry away. And he says to Job, I don't owe you anything. And yet he kind of maybe felt like he did because he came to talk to him. He said, do you know where the storehouses of the snow are? Are you a friend of the water-spurting whale? In other words, you're not God and you don't know anything. But Job stays faithful in that he doesn't ever turn away from God. He keeps yelling at God which in the Hebrew scriptures is a faithful response. And then in the end of the book, um, God gets everything, I mean, Job gets everything back. He gets new children and new crops. And I'm thinking, you know, new children, I I would... (laughs) Might be missing my old children. Carl Jung wrote that he thought um, he thought God felt bad about that for eons, and that God sending Jesus to die on the cross was God's answer to Job. That's what he called it in his article, "Answer to Job." He said God was saying to, to Job, "Look, I'm suffering too now. Nobody knows." So is God responsible for evil? Did God create evil? Does he allow evil? And many, many people of, of the book, people of the religions of the book, which are um, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and again, I'm painting with a broad brush, they would say evil is a result of the, the fall. Um, God wills things and we accept the will of God. And um, so you'll hear people in churchianity churches and um, in mosques say, well, God willed it. God willed it. And so you have to accept it and not question. But that's what the friends of Job said, that God shook his fist at, his or her fist at. And so... um, Does God allow evil or is God fighting evil? Don't know. Don't know. 
most people will look at two things when they're explaining bad things that happen. And the first thing is free will. So um, apparently uh, the belief in many religions is that human beings are created with free will. And you make your choices. And some people just choose badly, and so they suffer. And they marry the wrong person, or they get addicted to something, or they... um, I don't know. I'm not going to name all the bad choices. You know what they are. And sometimes we suffer because of other people's free will. You know, this developer chose to build houses on a floodplain, so the people get flooded out, and that's a bad thing that happened to them, but it was because the developer, you know, was allowed to build in the wrong place, or people stripped the the mountains of trees, and so in Bangladesh, the water just flows down and floods the people out because the trees used to take care of that, but they can't anymore. Or the camper didn't put out the campfire, and so we have a forest fire. That's a, that's a bad thing that's caused by um, a mistake from somebody who was exercising their, their free will. And then there's the natural law, which is the other thing, um, that explains evil because, you know, things have properties. The physical world has properties. And if I need a hammer to hammer a nail in, I need the hammer to be hard. But if I'm going to use a hammer on another person, um, the hammer, it's not going to suddenly get soft just because I'm using my free will to, to use the hammer in a bad way. Natural law, things just are what they are, and they normally stay the way they are, and um, things that don't stay the way they are are a cause for scientific exploration. And so, um, you know, you want a car to be sturdy and hard and heavy if you're loading your whole family up into it and all your stuff going on a road trip, but if you hit somebody on a bicycle, it's not going to suddenly get soft just because you didn't see someone or you were not paying attention And so most of the bad things can be explained by a combination of free will and natural law. This is why this happened. But you can't also stand in somebody's hospital room and say, when she says, why do bad things happen? You, you can't say, well, this happened to you because of physics. <laughs> it's true, but it's not pastoral. Nature, nature is heartless. It makes lots of organisms that are not viable. We just hope they're not ourselves or our children. It, um, it doesn't care if you're a small warm thing and you're out in freezing temperatures with no protection, you're going to die and the moon is still going to shine beautifully. The sun is still going to set gorgeous in a gorgeous way, and the dolphins are still going to... At the end of a play called J.B., which is about Job, Archibald MacLeish has Job's wife say, 
If God is God, he is not good. And if God is good, he is not God. That puts this problem in a nutshell for people who believe in a personal God who has a will. Um, other people, they might believe in a force of evil as a part of the, the, um, the spirit world or as part of the natural world. That um, You know, Dylan Thomas said, the force that through the green fuse drives the flowers drives my green age that blasts the roots of trees is my destroyer, and I am dumb to tell the crooked rose. My youth is bent by that same wintry fever. So there's just an energy of life, and the energy of life and time causes the flowering and then the withering. So is what we call evil just a force in nature, or is there a personal devil? That makes uh, so much good drama, and it makes a good narrative for your life if you can say, you know, I grew up in a church where sometimes if a bad thing happened to you, people would say, well, this is a lesson. God is teaching you, testing your faith. And sometimes they would say, well, the devil is attacking you. I'm like, which is it? How do you tell? And sometimes people would say, well, the devil just got in me and I did it. Convenient. (laughs) So sometimes it's a, a force that we are supposed to Um, resist. And some people feel like they need to just accept it. And sometimes we wonder, is that force stronger in some people than in others? We know it's in all of us. We know that the line between good and evil runs down the middle of every person. But sometimes it doesn't seem like there's that much good in some people. And you wonder, the Humanist Manifesto of 1933 would say, it's because of upbringing, it's because of um, circumstances of life and raising, you know. One of my dearest friends is a vet, and she says, some mammals are just born bad. She's talking about dogs that she sees. Some dogs are just bad dogs. And she said, some people are just bad dogs. I don't know if that's true, but I've had enough conversation with people who grew up with psychopaths that they have had experience with someone who is just unable to have empathy. And um, in the January National Geographic, there was an article about empathy and how some people are wired for it. Some people have overmuch empathy, and other people have a middle amount, and other people have very little. They can't really feel the feelings that people around them have, they say, and I don't know if this is true, but in the book, The Psychopath Next Door, or um, I think that's the name of it, they say one in 25 people is like this, just not wired for having feelings. And so you, if you're one of those people, you watch other people and see how they do it. Like, oh, that's what happy looks like. Or that's what concern looks like. Or that's what... It's like they're performing their emotions rather than feeling them. And it's kind of scary. Not all of them are bad or do bad things, but some of them are very, very detached. 
So, I, I'm not going to have an answer after 20,000 years, sorry, but I've given you some of the things that people say, and, and, what I, and the woman in the hospital, I asked her what she thought, and she said, I think the bad helps us appreciate the good. So that's one answer. Um, I think when bad things happen, we're called to keep our kindness toward the people the bad things are happening to and our own kindness when the bad things happen to us. No matter what pain and panic we're feeling, it's hard to stay kind, but it's a good spiritual um, exercise. And not to say cruel things like, well, everything happens for a reason. Try saying that to somebody who's hurt in the hospital. We're just supposed to stand uh, or roll up or run up or get on the side of love. That's what we're supposed to do. Just be on the side of love in any situation. Lend our strength and our comfort and our experience, uh, but not our advice unless it's asked for to people who are suffering. Mostly just listen and love. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts. Together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.